All right, we are live with episode 120 of the Decentralized Revolution podcast from the Mises Caucus. Appreciate everyone joining us. Uh, before we get into our guests, going to do our regular plugs. Um, obviously, the big thing for us is Operation Decentralized Revolution. That is our big uh, effort to get people to run for city council, mayor, school board, judge, local level races that we can actually win, that we can actually affect. Culture comes from the bottom up, and that's where we're going to affect it, and that's where we can nullify the feds right from our communities. Um, we're getting ready to fund something like 15 candidates. Um, we have funded 15 candidates already, libertarians running for these uh, these types of offices, becoming leaders at the county or the community level. And uh, that's, that's where we got to build, man. That's where we got to uh, build trust within the community. So you see the link right there, lpmesiscaucus.com slash donate. Uh, we need your help for Project Decentralized Revolution, and we need your help maintaining control of the Libertarian Party uh, moving forward in 2024. So if you like the new messaging, if you like the anti-war coalition work, you know, you're starting to see uh, efforts to go to bring influencers in the fold and uh, have them recruit for the party. This stuff didn't exist before. All good stuff. So if you want to see more of that, lpbcaucus.com slash donate. And I am here with uh, with Brandy Bishop. Uh we don't have Aaron tonight, but we are here with uh, Dylan. Dylan is our Twitter page. So, What's Dylan, before we get into it, you want to say say hi? Yeah, hey. Uh, uh, Dylan Griffith. Yeah, I run the uh, LPMC social media, but uh, mostly stay focused on the Twitter. So uh, any of the investigative journalism threads you saw coming out a couple months ago, that was all me. And uh, I'm hoping to be getting some more of that unique stuff coming back out again working on uh, getting our sources redeveloped and getting some unique stuff. It's all in the pipe right now. It should be pretty cool shortly. Awesome. And then, of course, we are joined by our guests tonight, Jake Angeli, America's Shaman. Appreciate you coming, man. How are you? Doing all right, man. Doing all right. Glad to, glad I could be here. So Thank I you was, for inviting me. Absolutely, man. Uh, I think this is going to be a very interesting talk. Uh, like I said, off camera, like I've been doing a deep dive into you the past few days, um, you know, in preparation for this. And, um, the one thing that jumps, there's a few things that have jumped out at me. One, like I said, is, is you really just kind of defy all the boxes. You know, you're, uh, you had people on the right, you're the Trump supporters who were claiming that you were BLM or an Antifa provocateur. Uh, you know, you got people on the left calling you a, uh, you know, a right wing Q tart or some shit. Um, you know, and, and people think of you a hard right, but then you're coming out and you're like, no, I'm actually legitimately a shaman. Uh, and, and I really like practice this stuff. And, and, um, so it all just kind of breaks out of the box. And I, I found that very interesting. And, and the kind of the first thing I wanted to, uh, get your perspective on is another thing that jumped out at me deep diving into you is, uh, you know, you're very jovial, you're very upbeat, like you're kind of cracking a smile right now. And, and you, you just did a stretch that included like 10 and a half months of, of solitary confinement. Um, what was that like? And, and how do you, how do you smile after that? <laughs> like, how do, how do you have you this jovial personality after all of that? Well, uh, what it was like is it sucked and it was really, really hard. Um, why am I smiling? Cause I'm not there. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> because, you know, I went through all of that crap and not only did it not break me, it made me stronger. 
So what what are some of the stuff that like what what did you do to like get through that? You had to have some kind of routine. I know you got into this in the Michael Knowles interview a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. Well, um, yeah, in in solitary, you know, it'll break you if you don't develop some form of a routine. So the first like 35 days of my being in solitary confinement while I was in Alexandria. So like I was in solitary confinement for like a week and a half, almost two weeks in Arizona. And then they shipped me over to DC and I was in solitary confinement for 11 days with no food. So I didn't eat for 11 days because they wouldn't feed me organic. Then God bless Judge Lamberth. He gave the court order to feed me organic food. DC jail either couldn't or wouldn't comply. They said that they didn't have the funding. And so then they sent me over to Alexandria Detention Center, which is like a skip, a hop, and a jump away from D.C. And that's where I spent my 10 and a half months in solitary. The first 35 days or so in Alexandria, I didn't have any books because of COVID. I didn't have uh, – I got out of my cell once every two days for 45 minutes. And then I had no radio signal. So they gave me a radio, but I couldn't use it because there was no signal that, for me to listen to anything. So all I had was a pen and a pad of paper. So I wrote scripts. I wrote screenplays. I wrote books. I wrote poetry. I did everything that I could to occupy my mind. I, you know, push-ups and stuff like that, exercised the way, uh, way I could when I could. And um, then I finally got moved to a cell where I had, you know, radio and stuff like that. And eventually I just in solitary, I use my time to either read or listen to talk radio. Gotcha. Okay. So that, that got you through and, and, um, through solitary. Yeah. And you, one thing that I, I found really interesting is you, you had something of a religious experience in there as well. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I've always been very close to God. I've, God has always played a very profound role in my life, but you know, like they say, you can't have a testimony without a test. And that was certainly a test. I had, uh, when I was in Arizona and they, you know, just at first it was misdemeanor charges. And then when they slapped the felony charges on me and told me it was a maximum of 25 years in prison, I was just floored. And that was, uh, where I had this experience where I was praying to God and like, God, you know, Why'd you ask me to do this? You know, why would you ask me to go through this? Like, I need you to show me that you're with me, that you're here, that you're, you're, you're by my side. So I'm going to open this. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to open this Bible. And with my eyes closed, I'm going to point to a random verse. And I need you to speak with me like now. So I did that. I closed my eyes. I opened the Bible. I pointed to a random verse with my eyes closed. And as soon as I opened my eyes, it said, I am yours and you are mine. I have redeemed you and called you by name. O Jacob. And so like, for the biblical verse to have my freaking name in it, you know, imagine yeah. how I felt, you know, very much like God was with me. Uh, but at the same time, it like, you know, took like two hours and I was back to freaking out again. You know? <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Did that. So did that give you any any fuel to like transmute what was happening from the chaos into meaning that like helped you carry through? Like, like what was the well, meaning yeah. of that to you? Well, that and all the other things, and I experienced a lot of miraculous things while I was in, you know, like praying and praying and praying because I hadn't talked to my lawyer. And then, you know, after like 45 minutes of consistent prayer, all of a sudden my cell door opens and it says, hey, your lawyer's on the phone, you know, 
and or um, praying and praying and praying. And then all of a sudden uh, that night I get a stack of letters. Then the, and the letters are basically people saying, uh, you know, that they don't believe the media. They don't believe the government narrative. There's biblical verses that are like answers to the prayers that I was asking for God, you know, to, to show me that he's still with me and all that <laughs> stuff. So um, and then I also had a number of like deep meditations and um, a number of like profound realizations as I was going through solitary. And then when I got finally got to prison, it was, it was really kind of interesting because I was within like a week or two of arriving on the yard after going through quarantine for COVID. Well, that's actually kind of something that's cool too, is because like, as soon as I got to the yard in Safford, Arizona, in, in Safford, I, uh, I was put in quarantine. And at first I was put in quarantine with a bunch of the people that were not vaccinated in the RDAP unit. RDAP is residential drug abuse program. It's basically like a rehab for, uh, for addicts in a prison. And I met a bunch of people, good people. And then shortly thereafter, like a week later, they moved all them out. And then they moved a bunch of people from the yard that were unvaccinated into the unit with me. And I got to basically hang out with a bunch of people that were like-minded. They were uh, conservative or at least, you know, non-vaccine, non-vaccine people. They were Trump supporters and stuff like that. So I got to meet a, a microcosm of everybody that was both on the yard and in RDAP. And then after I was released from quarantine, I did about two weeks in one unit. And then they moved me into the RDAP unit because the Bureau of Prisons uh, deemed it necessary to put me in residential drug abuse program or rehab because I admitted to eating mushrooms before I went to prison. Like, you know, a couple of times in my life, yeah, I'd eat mushrooms. And they're like, all right, well, you need to do residential drug abuse program. What's oh, man. really kind of turned out to my advantage because of the First Step Act, something that Donald Trump signed into uh, law in 2018, because I did that program, I earned six months off of my sentence. And I already had six months off for good time. So I got a year off of my sentence because I decided to, to go with the flow. Oh, we can certainly talk about shrooms later. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I actually, got true libertarian. We, uh, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> before, we, before we get too far from what you were talking about, I just kind of had a question for you. You said, uh, you know, God helped you through your time. In, and uh, you also alluded to um, some spiritualistic practices that helped you to get through it as well. I did have a question. Did you find that uh, for you, um, you found that Christianity, Christianity led you to shamanism or was it the other way around? It's a, it, it, it's an interesting question because uh, shamanism and Christianity are often thought of as separate things, but it's not actually the case, right? Joel 2.28 actually says your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Uh, shamanism is alluded to in the Bible. And uh, uh, the shamanistic journey and uh, uh, prophesied vi prophesized visions are an important part. And uh, it's a thing that's missing from a lot of modern Christianity is uh, a lot of the, the, the sacramental aspects of the practice of, of modern Christian religions are absent a lot of the vision quest basis that they came from when, when the religion was young. So... Were you always this way? Were you, were you a kind of person that was exploring the parameters of your consciousness before you found God? Or did you find that God helped you to, to, to find the ways to explore your consciousness? 
Well, first of all, God bless you for asking the question and bringing that to my attention, that biblical verse. I would like it if you could please send me that. So with you know, these Christians <laughs> yeah, that are no telling me it's not in the Bible, it's like, well, you know, God says, I gave you every plant, green, a green plant and herb to use. Now I got this one. And yes, I have had visions of the future. Um, but yeah, really, in all honesty, I've always been very close to God. Ever since I was a kid, like five years old, I was asking the big questions. What is God? Where is God? Where did God come from? Who is God? Um, why is the world so screwed up if God is, is existent, if God is real? Um, so I've always had God in my life. Um, but I was raised Catholic at first. And then after a while, um, my mother thought better of it, I'd like to say. Um, <laughs> so um, she, she, we stopped going to church. She, she just what she cared about most was that we had a deeply spiritual life, that we were close to God. And so growing up, I experimented with cannabis and I had boundary dissolving experiences that um, caused me to reinforce my belief in God because like the downloads of information that were instantaneous and intuitive that went beyond the description of that words could offer were plentiful for me, even in my teenage years. So that kind of, I know I'd always been interested in shamanism because you know, I wanted to know what they knew. Something always told me that the shamans, the guys wearing the headdresses and the feathers and dancing wildly and banging a drum and screaming their lungs out. It's like, those guys know something, man. You know, I didn't write them off. And um, when it comes to this idea of Christianity and how it all relates to Christianity, are you familiar with um, the sacred mushroom and the cross? Yeah. John Allegro. I haven't read it, but of all people, Jordan Peterson recommended it, which put it on my radar. Really? Yeah. Good old Peterson. Gotta love that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, so I'm of the belief, especially when you look into like the work of John Allegro and the sacred mushroom of the cross, or even some of the work of Greg Braden and the lost mode of prayer. And he talks about how Christ was in a scene. And then you do some research on the Essenes and they were basically like the lowest caste of the Hebrew caste system. And they were these like basically desert wandering nomadic hippies of sorts that were practicing the ancient shamanic roots of the Israelites. And I thought that was really cool. So um, I kind of came to discover that Christ, Yeshua, was like the ultimate shaman. I mean, think about it. He cast out demons. He healed people. He taught people how to pray. He went on vision quests, 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. He chased off evil spirits and, and stopped negative timelines. I mean, he was, he was not afraid of death. And part of the whole shamanic path is doing all of these things, is, is basically confronting death, confronting evil, confronting... Um, demonic forces, expelling them, protecting the people, teaching them how to pray and healing people. So, and then there's also like in shaman in shamanic cultures, there's what's called soul retrieval, which so way back in the day, people didn't know what a coma was. And they thought if somebody went into a coma, it's like this person's dead. So they would bring him to the shaman and the shaman would say, okay, well, I'm going to go into the spirit world and I'm going to find their soul and bring it back to their body. And think about Lazarus. Think about um, the little girl that was supposedly dead and Jesus brought her back from the dead. And what did he say? No, your, your daughter is not dead. She is merely sleeping. 
you see so he yeah. went on this soul retrieval journey where he brought these people's souls back to their body have uh have you have you ever looked into any of the apocryphal gospels like the gospel of mary oh yeah oh dude yeah, yeah. and every time you bring that up and you talk to you know orthodox christians that are about it they're, well it's not in the bible and it's like okay well bud you know, this is the point I actually made to a, a couple of Christians uh, that were hosting a podcast recently. Are you guys familiar with Cross Politic? No. no. No, it's like a it's like a Christian podcast where they talk about Christian values and politics. And I basically said to them, OK, hold on a second here. So. You right now know that there's massive amounts of censorship, right? Oh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of censorship. OK, and they are censoring things that are true right? That's the whole thing is they're censoring the truth, right? Yes, that is the truth. Okay. So are you telling me that way back in the day, as the Roman empire is crumbling, that they're not going to censor out the truth from the canon in the Bible as a means of controlling the narrative and controlling the people? Is that what you're trying to tell me? And they obviously, they didn't have a good answer for that because think about it. There's 22 gospels that were edited out of the new Testament. There are 22, uh, uh, yeah, gospels, uh, 22 uh, apostles' testimony that were edited out. There's the book of Enoch, the book of Jashar. There's all these books that were edited out by the Council of Nicaea. Yep. Yeah, the Apocryphon of John. Um, there's, a, there's a number of things that are important. The Apocryphal Gospels in particular to me, I find to, buy, to, I find to be incredibly valuable. And um, especially in the case of the Gospel of Mary, I think uh, you would be hard-pressed to make an argument that it was removed for anything other than political reasons, right? At the time in, in Rome... Enoch is pretty was, interesting, it, too. Yeah, Enoch yeah. is interesting. But at the time in Rome, it was just not a thing that they wanted to have a woman be Jesus's most beloved disciple, right? It was not a thing they were prepared to deal with politically. So to remove the gospel of Mary from the canonical Bible was, was a purely political decision. And for modern day Christians to, uh, to exempt it from their study really shortchanges themselves a lot of some of the most crucial verses about the oneness of the universe, right? Right. The togetherness of God's creation. And they, they really, uh, are, are, are shortchanging themselves in, in their study. I think uh, at a bare minimum, even if you believe that it has to be strictly canonical, even the even the most stringent biblical scholars find them to be still valuable, even if yeah. not canonical. At right? least interesting. Yeah, and uh, and you can certainly still learn from them, and you can learn the context and culture of the time in a, in a way that allows you to to go to your your canonical biblical study in, in a more educated way. But uh, it's. I think there's a lot to be found there, man. I'm a big fan of the Apocryphon of John. If you want to learn about kind of the hierarchies of angels and things and get into some of the more esoteric aspects. But yeah. Oh, we got a question here. What is it? I'm curious to hear Jacob's opinion on the current state of federal corruption and what the place of peaceful dissent or protest has based on his experience at the Capitol. Okay. Um, well, just really quick. Yeah, uh, I've... Uh, the apocryphal john I'll, I'll look into it um you know i'll I, send it uh, all to you on twitter yeah please, please that was do. a hell of a segue <laughs> sorry yeah, uh, no 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 it's okay I just, and let's I, talk I about the hierarchies really of angels quick. politics yeah uh, well, it, you know well you know the thing is is that we can bridge the two really quick um look at how women are being attacked now right in the way that you know women's faces are being invaded Okay, so women are still a threat to the uh, largely male dominator system that has brought us to the brink of World War Three at this point. 
Um, so Brandy, you know, you, you got a, you got a lot on your shoulders there, dear, but I think you can handle it. You know, I, I think that, that the, the women are really, um, it is, it is up to them, I think, in many ways to kind of set things right and stand up um, in ways that the men have been doing so. But uh, what they say, like behind every good man or great man is a great woman. So um, Mary being the great woman behind Jesus, the fact that she bore his child, some people don't believe that. The fact that there is very well a bloodline of Christ floating around the earth somewhere. Um, Maybe. All of that stuff. <laughs> it, it, the implications are astounding. And yeah. of course, the church is going to cover it up. But um, the reason why our spirit, our uh, socioeconomic and geopolitical systems are so corrupt is because our spiritual systems, our spiritual view of reality is so corrupt. So how, how does it bridge into this notion of peaceful protest? Christ taught, if your enemy strikes you on the left cheek, offer them your right as well, right? And I think that while a lot of people think that it's metaphorical, I think that it, he was meaning that you have to show courage. You have to be willing to take a blow, maybe even several blows, to show that you will not strike back, but nor will you be turned aside. And when you do that, it calls on something in the heart of the human being that causes their hatred for you to decrease and their respect for you to increase. And I do believe that Yeshua fully understood that truth and brought it into practice. I think that part of the part of what inspired me to forgive my captors was the fact that if Christ can forgive the people nailing him to the cross, then I can forgive my captors upon my release. And when I let go of any sort of malice or any sort of resentment, I was freed. And I didn't, in all honesty, I really didn't have any malice or resentment to begin with. I just kind of endured it. I bore my cross. I embraced my cross the way that Christ did because I, I, I'm trying to do my best to be just like him. You know, Christ is like my role model, man. Um, Buddha too. I really like Buddha. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the reason why I'm still smiling because I don't have resentment. don't have anger. I am a, I'm forgiving, loving, caring man. And the, and I, 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 something I posted a lot on Twitter because I absolutely love it. It's a meme. It shows Leonidas on one side screaming at Xerxes and then on the other side is the, the image is split. On the other side is Buddha in like the lotus position, like glowing. And at the top it says, yes, you can be both. Yeah. Well, that whole concept that you're getting at of um, like kind of this intersection of the spiritual decay and the need for activism or political activity and all of that, it, it kind of uh, brings me to my next question because I wanted to explore your background a little bit more. Um, because most people and us as libertarians, you know, we, we, we're certainly of this view, um, you know, politics is like soul deadening. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 very like soul killing. It's like almost like like a parasitical <clears throat> scheme on society. And um, so and yet we have to involve ourselves in, in some way in that. So how like if you were always if you were always interested in kind of spiritual growth and all of this, 
where did it dawn on you that this has got to carry over into politics? Because what I see is a lot of the opposite. People who get into politics and then maybe they become a little bit more aware or whatever and they decide, okay, I want to walk away because it's too soul deadening. But you did the opposite. I also had the opposite experience. I had a spiritual experience and then got propelled more and more into this. But what 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 is that intersection for you? Well, my first tattoo that I ever got when I truly decided to walk the shamanic path was on election day of 2012, November 2nd of 2012. And I I got the the tattoos on my feet because I was walking the shamanic path and I had chosen at that moment and believed that our votes did not matter. I finally came to the conclusion of like, it really doesn't matter. They're going to select whoever they want. And when was this? And I'm sorry. On November 2nd of 2012, the Obama Romney election. Okay. I'm curious about that, but keep going. <laughs> well, um, so that was when I decided to go down the shamanic path, just full, you know, head on, no holds barred, pedal to the metal. And it was shortly thereafter that I got the tattoos on my, on my shoulders here on November 24th and November 25th. And then on December 21st, 2012, I got this stuff done on my side and I was just going down the shamanic path and pretty much ignoring politics because it was so corrupt. And I realized, you know what, it really doesn't matter. It's all rigged anyway. So I'm going to go down the shamanic road and, and, and help to try to heal the world in that way. Then as I was working and then I, I decided to work with kids and group homes because I believe in, uh, in uh, that our children are our future. And if we can sort of help them to understand what's going on, then maybe they won't make the mistakes that we've made that got us in this mess that we're in. And as I was doing that, eventually I got to a point to where, I mean, I'd always been curious, but eventually I looked into, well, let me preface it by saying this. I had looked into every single religion in the world. I looked into Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Sikh. I looked into Buddhism. I looked into Taoism. I looked into all of it. The only thing that I had never looked into was Satanism. And I was like, why would anybody practice that? Like, what is the deal with people wanting to worship Satan and practice black magic? Like, what the? You got to be kidding. So I started to look into it because, and you know, it's my belief that you got to know how to defend yourself against the dark arts, especially in shamanism. You know, you got to understand how to battle evil witchcraft, you know, and Satanism is a part of that thread. So I looked into it and as I started looking into it, um, eventually Pizzagate came out. And I realized that it was all kind of interconnected, that this idea of human sacrifice, child sacrifice, blood drinking, ritual abuse, all of this stuff, it all just like came together and how it related to the political world. Like, are you guys familiar with um, Lawrence King and the Franklin cover up? Uh, oh, yes. I, uh, I watched the documentary, um, Who Took Johnny? It goes into that a little bit, which talks about a lot of the kids that went missing in the 80s. And I think Johnny was the first kid on a milk carton. Um, it gets pretty wild. That's, 
That that stuff gets so wild. I I don't even yeah. know what to think about it. I try to keep an open mind. I'm I'm pretty conspiratorial, but I also stay pretty skeptical. I I try not to like go too deep in the weeds because I don't know. I think you can become blackpilled very easily if you do that. Yeah. Yeah. But I did hear I, with well, Pizzagate that the ex-network investigative journalist pleads guilty to child sexual abuse material charges. How about that? A little weird. Yeah, that just weird. happened. <laughs> I saw well, that and today then, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> and then there's all the uh, the producers at CNN there. I think it was two producers at CNN that got found guilty of child pornography or child abuse. You know, so all these people that are saying Pizzagate is a hoax. And now we just find out, lo and behold, Fox News is donating to this satanic temple, you know, or the temple of Satan. You guys hear about that? I did not. It was a couple months ago, right? Well, well, kind of. They're matching they're, they're matching the donations of the people that are that are like in their corporation or something, and they're donating to LGBTQAI, whatever you want to call it, organizations and the uh, Temple of Satan or the Satanic Temple. So Fox News is doing that. CNN's doing that over there. And yeah, there's things like the Franklin cover-up. There's things like the stuff going on in Bohemian Grove. The fact that Reagan was there. The fact that Nixon was there. The fact that Ford was there. The fact that Kissinger was there. The senators and con you know congressmen, uh, representatives, CEOs are going. D Jeffrey Epstein and what's going on there. There's also the scandal with um, Barney Frank and his child trafficking network out of his New York apartment um or his his lovers as gay lovers trafficking of children um there's also uh michael aquino the lieutenant colonel uh in the army that was uh, a satanist and admitted satanist and also was um uh charged with raping over 80 children on a military base in california and they spoke of like satanic rituals and you know I thought those charges got dropped they did but here's the thing two of the people, two of the young kids that refused to drop the charges. One of them is named Paul Bonacci. Okay. Mm -hmm. He actually, you can see all his testimonies. He was also trafficked during the Franklin cover-up. Um, and this is what kind of blows my mind about the Franklin cover-up. And it kind of makes me think twice about him. If I'm not mistaken, it was Rudolph Giuliani that was investigating all of that and decided to drop the charges. I don't remember huh. that. Maybe. Yeah. Well, let me. I, I, let me. The point. The point is, though, is that how all this relates to politics. If you look into all of these scandals, John Podesta and his emails, the WikiLeaks emails, Hillary Clinton and her WikiLeaks emails, their relation to Marina Abramovic, Hollywood celebrities and their relation to Marina Abramovic, spirit cooking, the pedophile code, all of that stuff, then it is indicative that there's something nefarious, very nefarious going on. And if, it, if you look at the familial bloodlines that are involved, it goes all the way back to ancient Sumer, ancient Babylon, ancient Egypt, etc. And being a practitioner of shamanism, I had done all of this research on all of these cultures and the things that they'd practiced. So it all came to a head for me when I wrote my book, um, one mind at a time, a deep state of illusion. Uh, and uh, I wrote that in 2017. Yeah, it's gotcha. uh, it's it's not really necessary for you to take a spiritualistic tact in order to believe this either for, for people who are skeptics yeah. of this kind of thing as a concept. All you all you have to believe is that people who have everything 
will eventually become bored of the things that they have. Now, you get bored with everything that you have, right? You buy a new video game, you play it until you're bored, right? Well, some people do. Some people <laughs> overdo it. But uh, it, it, when you have everything, right, the, the next thing that gives you pleasure is the next thing that is one level more extreme or, or more intense, right? And when you have everything that you can have within the confines of society and, and their, their traditionalistic boundaries then the things that you desire are the things that aren't, aren't a thing that money can buy, right? Then the things that you desire, the things that you want are the things that are an affront to traditionalist traditionalism and affront to, to whatever your culture or society is. So these uh, elites, right, in having everything, they just strive for the more and more extreme, right? Pleasure vampires is essentially what they are. They just, they just need the next craziest thing. And then you get to this point where when you're listening to somebody say it, right? Child sacrifice, things like this. It sounds so wild. But these are just people who have had, had everything, right? And now the only thing that gives them pleasure is, is just whatever is the going to be the thing. biggest, yeah, the most depraved, the biggest affront to humanity that they can possibly find, right? It's not the act in and of itself that they get the satisfaction as so much as it is that it is just a spitting in the face of everything that is bright and proper about being a human living on their earth because they could have everything else. That's all that is a challenge for them anymore, right? There's, there's yeah. like a completely mundane explanation for all of this. But uh, I think for anybody who's being honest with themselves, it, it definitely yeah, and, goes a little and, bit further well, than that. But it's also and been practiced throughout history. That is right. what's really important. Right. I and I think this it's, is, I also yeah. think it's important that like the elites of our country are not a monolith. Like, mm -hmm. like there are some that are in there's that are in powerful places that are doing some super dark shit like this. There's some that are just simply corrupt. And they're sold out. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. there's different levels of the pantheon of evil that we're dealing with. <laughs> I think um, there's also a lot of people that probably don't know. Like there's probably a lot of people that are involved that are like these elites, right? And they don't even know. They, they, they're like, no, that's not going on because they're not in the club. So well, like, they weren't invited. Are you invited. familiar with Ronald Bernard, Brandy? Ronald Bernard. I don't know. That one, that one doesn't okay, sound familiar. Look that one up. Ronald Bernard, he's a Dutch international banker. And he was making billions of dollars working with these banking cartels. And he was a part of these satanic circles. He was attending parties. They had upside down pentagrams and upside down crosses on the walls. And, you know, they, he thought it was all just like, a, you know, he thought it was a club. Big deal. Oh, yeah. They're just joking about the fact they bankrupted a company and the, and the you know, CEO committed suicide, uh, whatever. And then he goes to the people that are a part of all this stuff and asks them, uh, he says he wants to make more money. And they said, okay, well, that's fine. You know, show up to this place at this time on this day and basically leave your soul at the door. And he didn't quite understand what that meant. So he showed up at that place at that time on that day. And lo and behold, it was a satanic ritual. And they put a knife in his hand and placed a, an infant on the altar. And they said, you know, you want to make more money? So you're right. There are certain people that are in the crowd that don't fully know what's actually going on. After he experienced that, he chose not to sacrifice the infant. He walked away and he blew the whistle. You can look up his testimony. I it's, think I it's have seen an interview of this guy. I think yeah. I have. He was like, yeah, he's like I, in a documentary or two, I think. So that's, that's wow. a hard one to segue from. I do want to... Though really quick, the point is, is that this is a... This is an ancient practice 
This goes all the way back to ancient Babylon, all the way back to ancient Sumer, goes all the way back to the Canaanites and the, uh, sacrificing their children to Baal and Moloch. Okay, it goes back to this idea of demonic worship. And the thing is, is Brandy's right when she says there are some people that just don't know. And the, the higher up you move, the more you get to learn and the deeper you get into this satanic cult. And they film you doing these things. And then they say to you, well, guess what? We have this on you. So now here's your money. Do what we tell you to do with it. And that is almost certainly the case with Epstein. Yeah. Like that, that, oh, was a, yeah. that was a, yeah. <laughs> um, so um, wanted to jump back a little bit. Um, was there anything specific about the 2012 election that red-pilled you? And, and what was... What was your political evolution like before that to like now? Because the reason I ask is 2012 is when I became political. Well, after 2012 is when I became politically anarchistic. Um, and, and that was because of what was done to Ron Paul. Um, so what, what exactly was it in, in 2012 that was your red pill? Well, actually, what happened to Ron Paul was a big red pill for me. Because he was the only person that I looked at and I thought, well, you know, he may not look like a tough guy, but he's certainly the only viable candidate that I can see. He was and the convicted. way that he was yeah. the way that he was marginalized, the way that his his supporters were not allowed in the building, the way that um, he was talking about ending the Fed and nobody's giving him real interviews, the way he was treated during, you know, like with the debates and stuff like that. Um it really kind of woke me up. And then, you know, Mitt Romney is such an ass clown, in my opinion. You know, he's 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 the, everything that's wrong with the Republican Party and, and his talking points that, you know, I saw through the whole, oh, he's a Mormon. Do we really want a Mormon? You know, um, and then I also, you know, well, here's the other thing, you guys. I had a vision that Barack Obama was going to be president in 2004. I had a vision that he was going to create a caliphate in the Middle East when he was president. So like I had that vision in 2004 and then all of a sudden he becomes president in 2008, like in my vision. And then he starts basically creating this caliphate in the Middle East. And I'm like, holy shit, you know, and I believe that he was going to get two terms. So um, that also influenced it. But what what really I think kind of did it for me was all of it together to, to show the ridiculousness of every last one of the people in DC, the, the uniparty became very obvious to me at that point. And I mean, dude, I mean, I started out as a Bush supporter. My dad was a strong conservative and supported the war in Iraq and listened to Rush Limbaugh and, and all of that stuff. And, and so what really kind of woke me up for the first time was when my grandfather showed me a documentary on nine 11. Yep. Me too. Not so my grandfather, what would you but consider that was yourself. Like politically, what do you call yourself? Like, are, like, are you registered Republican? Do you consider yourself? What do you consider yourself? <laughs> I, you know, I really don't like labels. Um, oh. <laughs> if I had to say, um, I would say libertarian and a constitutionalist. Okay. Yeah, that's why yes. when I found out you guys are libertarians, I'm like, fuck yeah, okay, we can talk. And now here you are talking about John Allegro and you know, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, Christianity and the roots of shamanism. Like these are my people, man. <laughs> Yeah, I think you might find that we are your people. Uh, <laughs> so libertarians, high in openness. <laughs> so where freedom. does this all freedom? Yeah, man, absolutely. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's what we're here for. And and 
I don't know. Like, so where do you, if you're, you're saying you're a libertarian, um, then that like opens up the question of where do you think a third party is needed or is there a role for a third party? Um, you know, cause obviously we're doing our work through the libertarian party and there's been kind of a failure to launch for the libertarian party where we're doing what we can. <laughs> it's under new management. Um, but, um, you know, and you were, you were in January 6th in support of Trump, you know, all of that stuff. So what do you think is the role of a third party and what could we do to affect freedom? Well, the founders didn't want political parties because they knew how dangerous they were. Um, I think it's interesting that the Democrats were founded by Andrew Jackson, who was a slave owner, slave trader, and uh, a racist, um, rather indicative of you know the true roots of the Democrats. I think it's rather interesting that the Republicans were founded on the abolition of slavery. Right. Um, but at this point, they've both become so heavily corrupt that they're a uniparty. They, they're two wings of the same bird. Um, maybe the third parties, like the Libertarian Party, is like the tail of that bird. That's why it always gets shit on. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, there is a role for it. But I think that, if anything, there's a role for a no party. You know, I think that, that it's divide and conquer. The, the, the cognitive labels that come with political parties are inherently divisive. Because, for example, I don't believe in the death penalty. I think that it's a bad idea to give the government the ability to kill its own citizens. You know, I may be alone in that, you know, but, you know, but the alone. republic... No. <laughs> yeah, I hope not, you know, but the Republicans, they're all for the death penalty. And yet they talk about the sanctity of life in the womb and how, you know, every baby deserves a chance. And it's like, well, they say, well, I'm for saving innocent life. And I'm like, well, OK, you do know that like a bunch of people that have been on death row have been found innocent. Right. So where are you on that? And, and, and if all it takes and we know how easily the government can frame people, if all it takes is the government framing people properly and then executing them. Well, then there you go. You just gave a tyrannical administration the ability to execute its own citizens based on false evidence. You know, so um, and, but then there's also like with the Democrats, you know, I, look, I have no problem if two adults are homosexual and what they do behind closed doors, as long as it doesn't involve children or unwilling rape victims, then do whatever you want. Have massive gay orgies for all I care. I don't care. You know what I mean? But what matters to me is the way that now they're going after the kids. Now they're saying, you know, uh, we're going to take the kids away from their parents if they don't affirm their gender. We're going to put them on hormones, which totally destroy their developing bodies. We're going to they're going to chop these kids genitals off if they you know, want to alter their bodies for the rest of their life at age 13, 14. I'm sorry. What? You know, so yeah. there's this like very real divide and that's why i don't like political parties because you could be a democrat and say well i just don't i don't support the you know castration of children and they'll call you a bigot and a homophobe but you can agree with everything else you can be a republican and say yeah well i'm not for executing felons and they'll be like oh well you're just a liberal then aren't you yeah yeah i think, I think you, uh, oh, sorry, you, sorry go ahead go. brandy 
Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, I think that the problem is, is that people do get really wrapped up in the identity of the label. And, like, they get so emotionally attached to the label of, like, even libertarians do it. You know, like, we're like, I'm a libertarian. You get emotionally attached to that label. If someone attacks an idea within that label, you act, you think it's attacking you. You know, it's an attack on you personally. Your tribe. Really, yeah, really, it's an attack on the idea. And I think that that's what we need to get away from. Like, you can, I try not to, like, wrap my identity into my ideological beliefs. And I think that that's super important because that's what becomes problematic and how we get mob mentality and tribal thinking and all of that stuff. A hundred percent. Yeah. It, it certainly is the case that uh, political parties, at least in the configuration they're at now, serve to only uh, keep, keep the status quo to maintain it, right? Uh, Democrats and Republicans are just communists. Both are the same thing. They achieve the same thing. They grow government together. They do it in different ways, right? The Republican Party comes into power and they have their president there and they make a few superficial changes to whatever the, the federal legislation is. And while they're doing that, they empower Northrop and Boeing, right? And, and, and they, they grow these massive corporations which, which develop machines of death and subjugation at an epic scale. And then the Democrats come in and they undo the little tiny changes that the Republicans had made that are superficial. And then they use those machines of death and sub subjugation and they find ways to legislatively turn them on American citizens, right? And then the Republicans come in and they do it, but this time there was a terrorist attack that they themselves probably did. And uh, they do it for the citizens' protection. And uh, they're certainly all working toward the same thing. They, they are definitely yes. working toward the same thing, but uh, unfortunately, uh, it's my opinion that uh, maybe unwittingly the Libertarian Party also works toward that same thing, too, by siloing itself into an area where it is not able to be useful. And well, uh, the Mises Caucus does it a little bit differently and uh, has, has a strategy which I think you might find to be effective by focusing at local elections specifically, right? At this federal level where we deal with this behemoth, right? It's almost functionally useless. It, it, it's kind of a waste of time. We're never going to enact meaningful change against these organizations that kill millions of people across the globe like it's nothing. But uh, at, the, at your sheriff, your small town sheriff, you can probably find a race there and a person who, who can target that race, who is able to get in and maybe nullify some, some statewide laws to nullify some federal uh, tyrannical legislation. And that's the focus of the Mises Caucus is local elections to find and target these vulnerable races. It's a strategy that the People's Parties and the, and the communists have been doing for decades now very effectively. About a century. Yeah, they, and, yeah. and that's why. That's why they are ingrained into our education system, right? It's why they are the ones teaching our children. It's because they figured this out a long time ago, and they put their people in those vulnerable races. While in the 50s, we were complacent in the golden era, right? We were enjoying our manicured lawns while they were making sure it was their professors in colleges. Well, where, Leninism. Where it was their teachers. Yeah, it is. It's Marxism-Leninism. It is strictly, mm -hmm. I mean, it's right out of Mao's little red book, this type mm -hmm. of ingrainment into, into the cultural fabric. And they did that, and now we're just experiencing what it is like when they finally get that that platform to build from, and and it, it's a really difficult thing to disentangle. But that's the Mises Caucus's charge. I, Mike Mike can tell you all about this, but that's what we're about. And and I think it gets further complicated by one. I I believe that the the distribution between like personality type and political association, um, and how tight that is 
has a lot to do with what Brandy was saying about like why people almost like take it personally when you start to question their ideas. And, and it's literally about their tribe. They feel part of a tribe and you're attacking that tribe. And then I think that gets even further complicated and further entrenched where there's almost like this mutual hostage situation that's going on with how powerful these parties are and how powerful the executive branch is and what it means culturally at this point to lose. You know what I mean? And and that's why it's the culture war. It's, it's a fight over the centralization of power to essentially subjugate the other side. Meanwhile, as you're pointing out, Dylan, it's it's basically different flavors of corporatism that, that both lead to oligarchy. Yes. And, you know, uh, I think it's also important to note that you said that they're communists. Well, what we're currently living in is more of a fascism than a right. communism because fascism is the merger between corporate interests and the government's yes. monopoly on the initiation of force. I mean it you more know? in the derogatory it's, way. His, than historically the speaking, no, yeah. <laughs> historically well, the, speaking, the I think what we... are, the tactics of fascism, communism, it's the same, the same tactics. I would have it's, been happy to say pinkos. It's like a progressive fascism. That's what's friggin' weird about it. It's it's not nationalistic like like fascism historically has been. It is this kind of globalist progressive thing, but it is also the merger of of uh, corporate and state power in and centralizing that power more and more like communism. So you don't have state ownership like you would in t uh, classical communism, but you have regulation and and uh, law passing to the point where it might as well be that. It's friggin' weird historically progressive fascism. I don't even know what to call it like <laughs> yeah it it really is and that's what the deep state is and that's part of why i'm so dissatisfied with pretty much everybody that has chosen to run for president at this point because they're not calling a spade a spade they keep talking about the deep state oh the deep state this the deep state that but okay what is it what is the deep state otherwise if you don't if you can't explain it simply you don't understand it fully and if you can't explain it simply you, you and then you can't explain how it is that we're going to change it and getting and the thing is, is if you fully understand what the deep state is, getting a getting a person that's president isn't the full solution. You know, mm -hmm. it's going to require the legislative branch to step up. It's going to require the executive branch to step up. And then it's going to also require the courts not to become not to be corrupt because they're going to have to reinforce what these other people are doing in the courts. And then to bring, it full, I mean? to bring it full circle for that level of change to happen, you're going to have to have wide scale cultural and spiritual change. Right. Yes. Well, this is why I think like the culture is the answer, like getting changing people's minds via the culture, via like even through podcasts and things like that. I think that that is really what we what what we're going to do. Like, it almost feels like doing things even in like a political sense, you end up getting people end up getting compromised once they get to a certain level for the most part not everyone but it seems like a lot of people do um but uh i just wanted to ask are you so you were a trump supporter are you still a trump supporter if i had to choose one candidate it would be trump okay. but uh, you know there's some things that he's said and done that i don't agree with and i would be a coward to not confront that in myself and in the world um operation warp speed big mistake um i think maybe, that maybe uh, the biggest 
Yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, you know, not firing Fauci when he had the chance, not firing Ray when he had the chance, um, not firing here's, Millie when he had the chance. Here's an unpopular one that's true. The inflationary wave that we are experiencing is Trump's. We likely oh, yeah, haven't even begun to... Dollars. Yeah, several trillion, like many trillions of dollars. We likely haven't even begun to, to felt the effects yeah. of Biden's inflation. Yeah, he lit that fuse for sure. Well, and people don't want to expect. He definitely trusted that a lot of the wrong people. He trusted a lot of the wrong people. Well, I, I don't I know. That, I'm not convinced that he's not on. Yeah. that he isn't the deep state. That he's not yeah, a part of it. Is, Maybe he started not, but I think exactly. he might have eventually become uh, compromised. This is well, the, the thing only with thing Trump. Really... It, he, he definitely oh. is a member of the elites. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know that. And the thing that makes Trump a great candidate, if you are a member of the CIA, is that a lot of people think of Trump as not a great candidate and not a member of the CIA. But uh, <laughs> uh... <laughs> I think, well, uh, you know, but I... <laughs> but the fact that they keep going after him is also part of why I still am like, you know, OK, if I'm going to support somebody, it's, it's going to be you know, the guy that they're continuing to go after, the guy they're continuing to smear and try to destroy. Why it, is that? But that's participating in self-flagellation, right? They went after well, him. He became president, destroyed your future, and then this and, maintained. It wasn't an accident. Nobody becomes president without the blessing of the deep state. It well, just does well, not happen. Well, and, yeah. I hear you on that. I, I would, that's why it's hard for me. Because the thing is, is that I really... I, his going after the human and the child traffickers, you know, there was a lot of arrests regarding human and child trafficking during Trump's administration. He also gave China the finger, you know, and um, he also gave the WEF and the UN and the WHO and the CDC the big middle finger. But not in any uh, he ways hired that Fauci. Were, yeah, not in any ways. No, that no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Fauci was installed by life. Reagan. Not yeah, but he could have. He, he could have fired him, and and this is this kind of to, this to me goes back to what I was saying about the elites are not monolith, because obviously the the FBI is not friends with Trump, right? And and uh, the CIA does not appear to be friends with Trump. They're lying about troop placements and all of this stuff. But you know what reason does Pfizer have to hate Trump? Uh, what reason do the military contractors have? Who you know he he was drone strikes were up under Trump. Right. You know, there, there was still a lot of money flow in there to the military industrial complex. And, and that's what I mean when I say that I don't think the elites are monolith. I think they're all, um, I don't know that they're engaged in, in, uh, the same interest per se, like that they're all chasing the same zero sum game. Uh, it, it's totally possible that the CIA has its interests over here and the FBI has its interests over here. And then Northrop Gumbrin yeah. has, has its interests over here. And, you know, each one is kind of bidding for their man to get into the uh, yeah. uh, the the White House. All of them seem to be the, the ones who seem to, to have it all is the bankers. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is, that's that's why what I advocate for um, in all of the interviews that I do. And if you've done your due diligence then you probably know what I'm about to say. But and also in all the spaces that I've done is Tesla Tower Technology and Dr. Reif and his machine and its cure for disease. Because Tesla Tower technology gives us infinite free, clean, wireless electricity, a decentralized energy grid. It also gives us a decentralized communication grid because we can use these towers to communicate, uh, communicate globally. It also gives us the ability to uh, 
create a revolution in agriculture and start using frequencies to cause our crops to grow exponentially. It gives us an opportunity to purify our ecosystems uh, by using um, frequencies in symbiosis with bioremediating fungus and plants. It gives us the opportunity to reverse all of the geoengineering. It also um, gives us the ability to use the ley lines and the electromagnetic ley lines of the, that the towers are built on as electromagnetic highways. Uh, so it will, trans it will transform our transportation industry it will make the shipping of goods and services that much cheaper and more effective. Um, and then Dr. Rife's machine literally changes medicine forever. And so we can't talk about the idea of getting rid of the old system until we create a new system that renders the old one obsolete. Because we're literally talking about getting rid of the system everybody uses and depends on. So we have to create something new, not destroy the old. Yeah, I, I think we would all totally agree that um, like there's different market systems that can be used to start filling in the gaps. Like, and I've talked about this before of like um, you've got what's called direct care providers, uh, doctors that just completely forego uh, the insurance system in order to have like a membership policy with their patients. So it's direct care between you and you can use that and you can use health share to get around um, essentially the, the uh, medical industrial complex and the and the insurance cartels and you know we could develop technology like that from where we stand though what do you think is the political way forward because i i think there is going to have to be some political movement to to break this power up you know well actually i think brandy had it right when she said changing the culture so she was basically saying we have to change our minds first and i agree with that 100 percent that what we're dealing with here is what's called full spectrum dominance. Full spectrum dominance is a military term. It means control of, first of all, the minds of the population through psychological warfare techniques. Then from there, by controlling the minds of the population, you end up being able to control the land, the seas, the air and the airspace, subterranean, deep underground military bases, uh, extraterrestrial or satellites, space, um, chemical and biological agents, and technology, like things like uh, televisions, phones, uh, cell phone towers, computers, radio, etc. So having control of all these things is full spectrum dominance. Okay. And um, that means that the battleground is right here between our ears. Yep. And this is why changing the culture is so profound. This is why education is so important because we we can't fix a problem until we know what the problem is. We can't come up with a solution until we can articulate what the problem is. And most people, they know that the deep state's a problem, but they don't even know what the deep state is, you know? And that's why I fault people like, God love him, Trump and Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ravaswamy and yes, even RFK Jr. And definitely people like Mike Pence and Chris Christie. Um, they aren't explaining what the deep state is. They're not saying what it is. They're just saying, we got to do this. We got to reinforce the border and get our economy back on track. The Biden administration is terrible. And, and it's like, dude, save your freaking talking points for the mirror, bro. Tell me something new. You know what so, I mean? Yeah. And, and I totally agree that, um, the primary method of control, and this is, this is, I think a fault of libertarians. We, we focus a lot on, the power of the state and, and, you know, for good reason, but I would argue that the primary method of control is psychological. Like the, the, the state 
and and through the tentacles that the state has in the media, the CIA control of the media, and and you know you see it in the censorship of algorithmic control of the conversation. Um, they have essentially claimed for them the the power of Maya. The, the, the like uh, that's an Indian word of like they they Illusion. they've taken for themselves the power to create illusions and alter reality. Um, and then people interface with that reality as if it's real. And this is why The Matrix is like the craziest movie of all time, because it's like totally a real metaphor about how there are different realities that people inhibit. Um, and one is based on these lies and one is based on truth. So I, I think that the, what what we're fundamentally getting at is that for the cultural change, regardless of the political ideology, um, truth has to be the paramount value that we're all chasing to bring to bring us all together. Yes. Yeah, I, and well, I think and te teaching people how to critically think. I think that that's what's been lost in our education system is a lot of people don't know how to think critically anymore. And it's very easy for people to be brainwashed. <laughs> like we need to bring that back and put that back in to the education sphere from like even a young age, like kids need to relearn how to think critically and think for themselves and not just repeat talking points that their parents or an authority gives them. Well, but that's what the education system does is it teaches them to absorb and regurgitate information and obey authority. Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right. Um, and that's why I started working with kids because I realized that it was that, that teaching them the right way to live, teaching them how to think for themselves and think critically and analyze things. It's the most important thing that we can do. Um, now what you were talking about regarding the matrix, I actually want to talk about this real quick because it kind of blends the spiritual and the physical for a second here. So what I came to discover is that there are two matrices. One matrix I call the divine matrix. And the divine matrix is based off of energy, frequency, and vibration. It's based off of uh, harmonious frequencies, harmonious energies, harmonious vibrations, based on sacred geometry. It's based on an objective view of reality. It's based on things like double torus fields, based on Merkabas, based on like the chakras and all of this stuff, and vortexes and wormholes and stargates. And I know that's all woo-woo stuff for some people, but it's, it's real. Um, now that's the divine matrix. Then there's what I call the death matrix and a death matrix is comprised of extremely low frequency waves, ELFs. So energy frequency and vibration, but low frequencies in harmonious frequencies. We use ELFs to communicate with each other, cell phones, satellites, uh, Wi-Fi, etc. Oh, one of the, I'm sorry. One of, one of the mass shooters, I forget which one it was. He wrote that on his gun. He wrote, this is my ELF on his gun. And he claimed that he was, he claimed that he was under, um, psychic attack MK by Ultra, the Fed. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, Riding that's actually something we could ship. get into. Um, uh, but just if I can unpack this for a moment, yeah, I think sorry it'll all that. make sense. No, it's okay. I'll bring it back to the mass shooters. Cause I can go there <laughs> if you want me to. Um, so, then you have all of the pollutants, the toxic pollutants in the food, in the water, and in the air. 
all of which are mind altering in one way or another, all of which cause disease. So like fluoride, right? Um, chlorine, lead, barium, aluminum, like there's aluminum in our deodorants and stuff. You know, there's petroleum products in our foods. There's artificial sweeteners, artificial flavors. I mean, aspartame for God's sake. And that's that toxic chemical there. That's like literally an excitocide toxin. Um, then we also have all of the propaganda, we have all the pharmaceuticals that, and, and so you have ELFs, you have all the pollution and you have these things that cause depression and cause disease. Then you have the propaganda that causes depression. Then you have the pharmaceutical companies prescribing chemicals to people that are supposed to mask all the symptoms of this toxic society that we live in, you see? And then you actually have like no real, um, avenue to expand your consciousness all you have to catch a buzz is tobacco and alcohol you know what i'm saying and so like things like cannabis for the longest time were illegal things like mushrooms are still illegal things like peyote still illegal ayahuasca still illegal all of these things dissolve the neuro-linguistic programming that is the government has sought so strongly to implement now when we look at Things like psychotronic weaponry, which is what you're talking about, MK Ultra electromagnetic weapons with these mass shooters. What you end up seeing with these kids is number one, they are medicated from a very early age on pharmaceutical drugs. Number two, broken many, homes. Of them, many of them are from broken homes or in foster care or have some form of trauma. Okay. Number three, many of them um, are influenced in many cases, like by yes, the use of psychotronic weapons and the hijacking of these people's minds because their minds are so much more vulnerable because they're trauma, trauma, tra traumatized because they're heavily medicated. That makes their minds vulnerable to these psychotronic weapons or electromagnetic weapons. And I promise you they exist. They exist. These, these psychotronic weapons exist. Okay. And like, you know, all I can do is like kind of pass you the card under the table and say, I know what I'm talking about from experience, dude. If the, you know um, what I mean, there, it's, it's, you know it's about I mean? 10 years old now, but there's a really good documentary and it's on, it's on, um, uh, what's the free one? Not Netflix. Um, Tubi. Tubi. it's on Tubi. Yeah. Thank you. Tubi is the shit, um, uh, called state of mind. It was it was produced by Alex Jones or he might have funded it, but um, back in the day. And it's all about the history of mind control as a weapon and the study into mind control. And it's it is really interesting and it is really dark. I will say um, I do think scary. that one common thing with a lot of these mass shooters is that they're all terminally online. And I think that that the SSRI. Not all of them. I'm, the, I'm, but, a lot of them are even like the, even Columbine. Those people had like a blog, <laughs> like they were a majority friendly. of them. Are yeah, on some sort of a psychotropic yeah. substance. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and, and they're heavily influenced by echo chambers. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, and yeah. they're heavily influenced by echo chambers and and this online culture, which that means they're heavily influenced by ELFs. Okay. Now, the whole reason I brought up the divine matrix versus the death matrix is this: the death matrix is covering up the divine matrix. It is covering up our spiritual powers, our spiritual abilities to transcend the physical reality that our, our bodies feel trapped in. 
So what they've done is they've used all of this to create a mass mind control of the populations, to create massive amounts of fear and confusion, and then use that fear and confusion to not just divide and conquer the people, but monopolize all the resources and all the labor to essentially control the populations, not just while they're alive, but also control them by slowly killing them off. And it's because a lot of these elites believe in population control. I want to, we're we're getting towards the the tail end of the interview, and I'd be remiss to not actually get into January 6th at all with you. Uh, But before I. I, Three more hours. (laughs) Yeah, we can go, Um, bro. I can go all day. I can do this all day. Have you ever heard of uh, Mark Passio? No. I think you would find him a pretty interesting character. He, um, He is a former dark occultic priest a high level dark, dark occultic priest um, who, you know, rejected all of that and, uh, you know, became an anarchist and started lecturing on uh, natural law. And he has a really, really good uh, presentation on the entire matrix trilogy and like what it's actually about. And like, similar to what you're talking about, I think you'd really like it. Well, it's, it's, I just, as a shamanic practitioner, you guys like, it all comes together. I see it. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've had visions of the future. I've seen where it is that these people want to take us. And it's hell on earth. It's not heaven on earth. It's hell on earth. It is not a utopia. It is a dystopia. We're talking like synthetic human beings, cloning, genetic engineering, transhumanism, merging with AI. Uh, The pollutants don't stop. They just keep going and going and going, destroying the environment, wiping out species, destroying whole ecosystems. And then we we won't have a seventh generation. We're going to go extinct. So this is why, like when Brandy said about changing the culture, I was like, fuck yeah, yes, change the culture because the culture is parasitic. And I think that's something you said earlier, Mike, was that the culture is parasitic. It's parasitic on not just the environment, but on human beings for God's sake. On our souls. Yeah. Yes. So we have to do something different. What I'm curious, you, what, what is the most profound, um, like vision that you've had? Well, it's been a number of things. First, it started with Barack Obama becoming president and creating a caliphate in the Middle East. Then um, it was um, the implications if I chose to go down the shamanic path and what I might expect um, for myself and the deja vus and the profound boundary dissolving experiences I had there. You know, like, you know, part of being a shaman is calling the rain or creating storms and Let's just say that's not fiction either. All right. That's very real. And I know from experience, I've done incredible things that most people probably wouldn't believe me if I told them. So um, there's that. And then there was yeah, this vision of the future of these two timelines that we could go down. So I just described one of them to you. It's the extinction timeline, the transhumanism, synthetic humanism uh, timeline. And then there's the other timeline. And the other timeline is spiritual ascension. It is humanity basically casting off these debt shackles and getting uh, dissolving the death matrix 
and ascending into these higher levels of energy, frequency, and vibration that go beyond the five senses. Essentially, human beings embodying their divine selves, getting to this Christ level of consciousness, and having a mass global awakening where we turn the planet into a Garden of Eden, a new heaven on a new earth. We, you know, have infinite free, clean, wireless electricity, a cure for disease, and yes, a reversion or a reversal of the aging process. We become a spacefaring species and we create colonies on the moon and on Mars and throughout the solar system. We, um, we basically become everything it is that we are meant to be. We are our quote unquote psychic or ESP abilities will go through the roof because everybody will start using them and that'll be a part of the collective consciousness. Astral projection will become a norm. Um, no more war, no more predation, no more parasitism, no more dominance, no more espionage and uh, famine and disease. All of that stuff is in the past in the, in the other timeline. It's all left behind in the age, in the other ages. And we, we become the, we, we, we become the generation that brings the world, the golden age. That is probably the most profound vision I had. And it, it's in the process of coming into fruition. Yeah, I think we're in the birthing, like the, the we're at the difficult stage. I don't think we've gotten the most difficult stage. I think we're going to slow bleed out till we hit the crescendo of this conflict. Uh, and then something's going to come after that. Uh, and honestly, that's, that's the thing that, that scares me is that if this goes the other way and these psychos get robot armies and you know, all of this kind of thing where they would have, like you said, full spectrum dominance on a level that as bad as it is now that we can't even imagine um, that there might be no coming back from that. Like there, there might, that might be it for the foreseeable future and generations. But here's the thing. And this is why I don't consider myself a black pill guy. I'm very optimistic. Um, human consciousness is so much more powerful than anything AI. Okay, um, AI is based on a very narrow spectrum of the electromagnetic spectrum, a very narrow bandwidth. And that's the only place that it can operate from. And it can only operate with uh, human um, handiwork, human beings making maintaining the system. Now, the human consciousness operates on all spectrums of the electromagnetic spectrum. Okay. I, my, when I was in prison, there was a guy that was telling me he came across an article and for the life of me, I can't seem to find it after I got out. But he was saying that he read in an article that Joe Rogan did an experiment with like a thousand of his followers on his podcast where they meditated every day at the same time. Um, they, uh, and their, their intention was to shut down this weaponized AI and it worked. They shut it down, you know? So, um, I'm of the belief that we have so much more to look forward to than these elites have created the illusion of um, that. I mean, they're not even elites at this point. I call them less than one percenters because it reminds me all the time that they're just less than 1% of the population. All they have is the guns and the computers and, you know, the tanks and all that stuff. But when it comes right down to it, you guys, our consciousness is so strong and that is what they are trying to convince us isn't true. Have faith the size of a mustard seed. You can move mountains. And I have moved mountains. Trust me. And so can you. And so that's why I just keep bringing this home on spaces and in my interviews of like, no, dude, you are powerful. You are a, you are like, like 
infinitely powerful. Christ said, ye are gods. These things and greater you will also do. Faith the size of a mustard seed, man. Faith the size of a mustard seed. Just believe and experiment with it. See what you can do. You know what I mean? So this all, this focus that you have on, on the spiritual side of things and, and um, you know, the, the visions that you're, you know, after essentially, um, it sets up a pretty interesting motivation for why you went to the Capitol in the first place. You know, like yeah. you, you, um, you know, watching your interviews, I'll let you speak to it, but this is essentially what you were there to do. And this is, this was not part of the mainstream media narrative of why you were there. You were there to be a, you know, a right wing insurrectionist, but uh, <laughs> um, what was the actual motivation? So, you know, it had to do with, you know, Kennedy and, you know, the lies for the decades that we've been going through uh, with him and the whole idea of conspiracy theory and conspiracy theorists coming out of the government and the media colluding together to lie to the American people for decades, um, kill anybody that got in their way. Uh, It had to do with being lied to for decades about all sorts of other things, whether it be Waco, whether it be the Oklahoma City bombing, 9-11, Operation Fast and Furious, the uh, um, Benghazi, the 33,000 emails, Russia, 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 um, the Vegas shooting, um, the, uh, the, uh, the whole thing with uh, spying on Trump in, in the White House and then lying about it and then no actions being taken, um, stabbing Trump in the back over and over and over again, the COVID crap and the lockdowns. Everybody was essentially on a form of federal house arrest at that point. Um, Then there's the lies regarding the origins of COVID, the lies regarding uh, the BLM and Antifa riots being mostly peaceful protests while the country burned around us, and then the lies surrounding the 2020 election. So uh, there's all of that and the, and it's all black magic or the creation of illusions to create fear. That's what it's about. But it's also, look, I went to the December 12th MAGA million March, the second MAGA million March that they had. There was people around the Capitol and people around um, the, uh, the Supreme Court, no riots, nothing, you know, and guess what there also was, there was a bunch of counter protesters too. Now, if you look at January 6th, I mean, it was nothing like the previous two MAGA million marches. All right. I went on January 6th thinking there was going to be a peaceful demonstration. I went on the 12th and on the 6th to be a shamanic practitioner, ensuring that the highest frequency vibes were placed into the electromagnetic grid system, which, you know, the ley lines is what DC is built on. And I'm sorry, I just want to give one comment on that just for the viewers who who may not have looked into this i i've watched a documentary called q sent me and there's actually a lot of footage in that documentary pre tucker carlson of you in the capitol talking with uh capitol police talking about the need for it to stay peaceful um other people who were in the senate room saying like oh yeah no we're not here to kick shit up we're just you know kind of here and then you actually cooperated with the like the capitol police to ask them to leave once they said, no, like really, we need you to get the hell out of here. So I just wanted to throw that out there as you, as you recount this for, for people who may not know. 
Yes, I was there uh, as an agent of peace. And the media, of course, lied as they usually do to advance their own political agenda in conjunction with the centralization of power. So the electromagnetic ley lines played a large role in it. The fact that there were going to be over a million people in Washington, D.C. on that day and on, the, on December 12th played a large role in it. All of the corruption and the lies for the decades prior to my birth was a part of it. And all of this stuff regarding the negative uh, black magic, Luciferian Satanism stuff that's at these really high levels of power also had uh, a part in it, too. So... It was a it was a confluence of occurrences and forces that go far beyond the physical that brought me there. And, you know, coming back to the quote that I read when I was in my cell in Arizona, I am yours. You are mine. I have redeemed you and called you by name. Oh, Jacob, you know, I never could have asked for more perfect timing for the footage uh, that was on Tucker Carlson to be released three weeks before my release because it was just enough time for people to be outraged that I was still locked up. And it was also just enough time for it to be seared into people's memory, this notion that they had been lied to about me and the narrative. And that like, uh, I was basically exonerated in the course, uh, in the court of public opinion, or I was redeemed in the court of public opinion. So now I have all these people that want to hear from me. And then now this message about peace and love and forgiveness and infinite free, clean, wireless energy and cures for disease and uh, nonviolent, non-cooperation with evil and all that stuff can get out. It's pretty synchronistic. Yeah, it's pretty. Oh, it's, dude, pretty... It's, a, it's divine providence. And yeah. here's the thing about here's the thing about the divine matrix. Um, the divine matrix is made up, as I said before, of harmonics, harmonic frequencies, all like resonating together to create a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. So when you are, say, at a symphony and you're playing an instrument, as long as you're playing in tune and on time and you're reading the sheet music properly, you are going to crescendo with the orchestra. You're going to rise and fall with the harmonics of the orchestra and the movement of the conductor, right? So if we look at each and every one of us as human beings and all of life in the cosmos, every planet, every star, every galaxy, every uh, you know, solar system, every galactic field or I mean, a, a galactic cluster, the universe itself, these are all like notes, harmonic notes in a massive cognitive, uh, massive uh, collective symphony of, of harmonic creation. And when you play in tune and on time with that harmonic symphony, then synchronicities pop up in your life. And this is why some people see like the 1111 or the 555 or the 444 or something like that on the clock. This is why you're thinking of somebody and then all of a sudden they call you. This is why you end up finding the next book that you're supposed to read, or you end up finding people of a like mind that would like to converse with you and talk about Jesus eating mushrooms or the shamanic roots of Christianity or, you know, the, the role of a third party in politics and the need for a new form of socioeconomic and geopolitical uh, infrastructure. If you, if you had the choice, would you, would you do it all the same? A lot of people ask me that, you know, 
And I have to do a lot of things different, man. But that's not just with things on January 6th. That's things, a lot of things in my life, dude. Everybody has regrets. Everybody thinks, oh, if I could go back, I would do this or that. I would definitely try a lot harder to, um, to stop the chaos before it started. I was trying my darndest to stop the, the you know, people yelling at the cops. Uh, somebody threw a water bottle at the cops and I told them to knock that shit off. I would be doing a lot more. I, I would have been doing a lot more had I, if I could go back to stop it before it even started. Um, but here's the thing, bro. Regret is far too heavy a burden to bear if we're going to move forward in life. If you hold on to regrets, bro, then you will be weighed down with every bad decision you think you ever made. But, you know, um, Epictetus said, Circumstances don't make the man. They simply re reveal him to himself. And Seneca said, um, it is not what you endure, but how you endure it that matters. So those quotes really resonated with me while I was in prison. And were it not for going to prison, I wouldn't have the knowledge base that I you know, have gained since going through it. It was a very profound lesson for my life. And I hope that not only I can learn from it, but the rest of the world, just like everybody's plight, whether it be Gandhi or Christ or Buddha or, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., you name it, all, the saints, the sages, all of their sufferings, all of their plights, Paul, you know, it had drastic historical implications that echoed throughout the millennia to give people hope and to inspire people to move toward personal and collective freedom. And I guess I could just hope that my plight does the same. Yeah, there's, Wh there's no time for to regret. Certainly not. Uh, you, re regret is just a way of learning from the things that you've done. And uh, if, if, if you're spending your time regretting those things, you're not learning from them. And uh, it's definitely an opportunity for growth. So that, that's absolutely appropriate mindset for sure. Thank yeah, you. It's, it's awesome, man. Um, where do things currently stand for you? Uh, I, I know when you did the, the Michael Knowles interview, there was a motion that was working its way through the courts. Um, I don't want to misquote it here, but I, I think the idea was that given the the stature of the evidence that came out with Tucker Carlson, I mean, your lawyer was on Tucker Carlson, I think the next night saying, I had no idea about this footage and they had it the whole time. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that motion would have basically upended the, the guilty plea, right? Am I right there? Yeah, it was a motion to vacate my conviction and my sentence. But the court, Judge Lamberth, basically dismissed the motion. And his grounds for doing so um, are nothing that... Um... <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I... You know, Did not mean to so do that. Funny. That is so funny. Oh my god! Yeah, Keep I know going. How I, feel, man. I know how he feels. Uh, you know, you don't abandon your child, bro. That's so fucked up. Um, anyway, um, so uh, anyway, uh, 
kind of derailed me there for a second. That's really funny. <laughs> Um, oh my god so anyway uh yeah i the motion in the courts is is denied and so i have a little more freedom to talk about all of that uh but i think that what's really important about that motion is that it was trying to draw attention to the fact that the courts i'm not the courts the, the government the prosecution how you're supposed to do this is you build a case by collecting evidence you make arrests and then you file charges okay and then once you file those charges the prosecution is supposed to give the defense all of the information all of the evidence that the prosecution has against the defendant and all of the possible favorable evidence that they have for the defendant now, what happened with most cases in January 6th, including my own, is that what the government did is they made arrests, they filed charges, then they built their case. And in particular, with the footage that was on Tucker Carlson, what they did for my lawyer and a bunch of other January 6th attorneys is they made to them available 44,000 hours of CCTV footage on a on a like a server on like a website and said here you go find your client and find exculpatory evidence so that's like saying oh well you know here are all the stuff here's all the stuff we have against you and if you want exculpatory evidence look for the needle in the haystack that's not yeah. how things are supposed to be done can can that be appealed the the decision around that motion no the the uh, Judge Lamberth has said he had dismissed the motion without the ability to appeal the dismissal. Jeez. So basically, I don't want to hear any more about this. Gotcha. Which so, he has that right. He's a federal judge. So the curtain's closed on the case then, right? I believe so. Okay. Unless unless well, Trump gets in and gives me a pardon. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> well, that's... That's actually my last my last question that I've got for you is how do you feel about Trump's response in all of this? You know, I, I, I mean, do you feel like he left you and the others kind of out to dry or like uh, where, where do you stand on that? I could totally see why people would. Um, I, I do not hold Trump accountable for my choices and my actions. That's not what real men do. That's not what alpha males do. They take responsibility for their actions. They take on the full uh, weight of those responsibilities and they do so with the smile, or at least they don't complain about it. Um, so um, I don't know, hold them accountable. I don't have any resentment toward Trump. If I don't have any resentment toward the government, why should I have resentment toward Trump? It's not his fault I went in the building. It was he didn't tell me to do that, did he? You know, um, so I think anybody that whines about that or anybody that points a finger and says, "Oh, he told me to do it," it's like, bro. Well, I meant really? I meant specifically by not issuing pardons while while he was still there. Well, I understand why or, he or, or fighting for it, pushing for it. Right. Now, I understand why um, it, you know, he probably saw the writing on the wall and knew that the deep state was going to come after him, you know, and if he and look at it like this, they're already talking about indicting him for that. Right. So 
if he had pardoned people, how would that have looked for all these indictments? How much more would the media have come out and said, see, he told them to attack the Capitol and now he's pardoning all these people. He's just a tyrant. I mean, they're going to say that anyway, but I just think I understand. I understand. No grudges held. Well, I really admire your mindset. There's a lot of this conversation I couldn't engage with just because, uh, for lack of a better word, my tinfoil hat's a little rusty. Um, I kind of dropped off after uh, <laughs> after uh, chemtrail, so there's a lot of catching up I have to do. And I don't even mean <laughs> to like say that in a disparaging way. Uh, like, then look up then, then look up stratospheric aerosol injections. That is what chemtrails are, and that has been proven to exist. Yeah, and I know what you're talking about. There is there is some something going on, and there is uh, an increased aluminum in the highest uh, bodies of water in the entire world, and and nobody knows how it got there, and um, all of that. Like I said, I didn't mean to say that in a disparaging way, um, but I really admire your mindset uh, through all of this, and uh, you know whether people are going to say what they're going to say about you, or they're going to call you a, a Q tart, or they're going to call you Antifa, or they're going to call you whatever, but. You know, well, actually, if you can uh, address that really quick. Sure. So wh- the reason why people are saying I was BLM and Antifa was because a single picture was taken of me at a BLM and Antifa rally. And that was happening in Phoenix. I was marching with the police as a lone counter protester to the BLM and Antifa mob. The person that took the picture or whoever found it online cropped the image so that the sign that said Q sent me and the police that I I was marching with were not visible. And then they said, (laughs) he was at a BLM and Antifa rally. He's a BLM and Antifa. He's BLM and Antifa. And it's like, you know, this is what I was, you know, how fast disinformation spreads. It's weird because truth doesn't seem to spread anywhere near as fast as disinformation. Um, it's like the same thing that everybody was saying when I got out of prison. Oh, Tucker Carlson. Oh, he got him out of jail. It was the footage. No, no, actually I got a year off of my sentence because of FSA and good time. It had nothing to do with Tucker Carlson and footage. It was just uh, divine providence. But once again, disinformation spreads really, really fast. And people were, are more than happy to jump on the bandwagon of skewering somebody they know nothing about than defending them in the face of not having any information. And the fact yeah, of the it, matter is all people had to do was read my books and watch my videos on Rumble. And they, the media and everybody else involved you know, in the, in the underground media, and they could have figured out who I was and what I stood for long before any of these narratives got you know, put into place. Do you guys have any uh, any other questions? No, Comments? I don't have any other questions. It was an absolute hoot talking with you, man. Yeah, this I, is I, a I would time. I would do this again any time. And uh, yeah. if you ever want somebody to give you a biblical basis for a lot of your shamanistic beliefs, let me know. I'll come on and uh, no, I'm, I can hook I'm, you up with some I'm saying yes right now. Please, let's do it. <laughs> Send me the shit because yeah. I got to have something. With I, a lot of these Christians, man, they you know they just don't understand, man. It's like, dude. Everything I do, I do it for you. And you're sitting here and you're like skewering this man that loves you so much and is trying to save you and your children. And you're calling him a pagan and, a, and, a, and you know, saying he's worshiping the devil. And it's like, you, you fool. <laughs> you know? No, that's fun. I could definitely go way down the rabbit hole in the Bible stuff with you. So we'll save that for another time. All yeah, the libertarians please. in the comments are angry that we were too biblical. <laughs> I need to get more political. Oh, really? 
<laughs> well, so I mean, well, how how long are your guys' shows normally? About ninety minutes. Oh, okay. So we're coming up on time. Well, hey, anytime you guys want me in the room, all you got to do is knock on my door, man. I got time for you guys, and we can talk politics a little more next time. No, I really appreciate it, man. Like I said, you're 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 even more red pilled than I am. But at the end, uh, but I have had life changing. We didn't get to talk about it, so maybe we will in the future. But I have had absolutely life changing experiences from mushrooms, and I can't quantify it. I can't. Uh, articulate all of it, but it, it does give you that understanding that there is something, you know, there is something more. Um, I, I don't claim to have all the right answers on it, but I've experienced it, and I know what my relationship with it is. Um, well, and maybe next so. time we can talk a little bit about our experiences. Yeah, I want to hear you guys' experiences, man. Please, like, that's fun to me. That's some fun talk, like meeting the DMT elves and, you know, all DMT sorts was of a life changing like, thing for me. All right, we could do 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> all right, let's do it, bro. Okay. DMT well, I want to hear Brandy's DMT experience. I want to get over to your uh, mushroom experience, Mike. Uh, yeah. So I did, I've done DMT multiple times. The first time I didn't blast off, it, it like, I, I felt, I was like so anxious, I think, that I just wouldn't let myself break through. So I was like, just too afraid and then the second time i did it i drank a little bit like i had like one or two drinks and it actually i think made me more willing to like let go i think i was just having a hard time letting go and then uh how i could even explain this it was like all of the building blocks of what i was like what made brandy like as a person just kind of like fell away it was like layers of an onion and it like all kind of just like went away to like the source of what I am whatever that is like that source awareness and it felt like I was being shot through like the roots of like a tree or something like that and then I ended up in like a womb is all I could explain it as like the womb of God and God was telling me you are you are going in the right direction because this was like I just got canceled like my life was kind of lost my job just got canceled 2020 I was a hot mess so <laughs> like I felt like my life was over <laughs> for a brief minute but it felt like God was trying to tell me I was in the right place and it wasn't I didn't see God I felt God it was a feeling and it was like pure love pure just like like trying to protect and like take care of me and being like you are you're doing you're doing fine. You're right where you need to be. Just keep going. And then it felt like very long. It felt like a very long time, very profound. Like, and I remember coming back in and it was like all those layers and building blocks of me started to just like build back together. It was like Legos of Brandy was just like, oh, there's this piece. You built back piece. better. Yeah, I, I built, it was like all the things that fell apart. It was like all the parts of me just built back in. And then I was, I came back and I was looked at my friends and I was like, how long did that, how long was I out? And they were like 10 minutes. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I was like, that felt like <laughs> so long. It literally blew my mind. I was like, no, wow. And I just started laughing. I couldn't like, I just was laughing hysterically because it was so profound and I couldn't even like put it into words. It took me a long time. And even, I still don't feel like I do it justice. Like, cause words are, it's so hard to describe something that profound because you don't even have the language to describe it. 
yeah i mean i've had um, i've had experiences with dmt i've had experiences with the shrooms can't seem to get a positive experience with salvia for god's sakes um <laughs> uh, that, that one sucks <laughs> yeah uh that's just scary have you ever every tried time the leaves? have you ever tried the leaves uh i mean it was a long time ago but yeah I smoked okay, it. And, and I used a torch lighter. Part of it, I mean, there, there's been a couple times where I've tripped and I didn't do it right. Like, I, I know better now. Like, mm -hmm. when I when I tripped on Salvia, I had been drinking. And, like, I had taught myself, oh, well, I've smoked DMT before. This, is, this ain't going to be shit. And then I, you know, I took one hit and I was in the white room from the Matrix. Like, like that. And I was really disoriented at that point. I'm like, whoa, like that. And it just, it felt like I was like underwater. Like I didn't know what was up, what was down. And I was just like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? And, and yeah, <laughs> I kind of freaked out. But um, I advocate that everyone trips properly, do it a little bit more ceremoniously than in the back of a van at uh, or Atlantic City. Um, and, uh, <laughs> um, but no, like the, the profound experience that I had with DMT. Um, I don't, I've never gone quite meeting the elves, but I had like a, a thought, like while I was out, I had a thought come to me that it was like, it was like, it was already fully formed. Like I, like it was almost like it was given to me, not, not something I actually thought up. And, um, I remember the thought hitting me and I just told myself for the rest of that experience, I'm like, I've got to remember that I've got to remember that. And when I came back, I held on to it and it was all stress comes from having not made a decision. Um, and that has been a very useful heuristic, uh, for, for me, uh, ever since. And, um, but the, the, the big breakthrough for like my whole life was definitely from mushrooms. And I was probably about, I think I was 19. And at that particular time in my life, I was depressed badly for years to the point of like suicidal ideation. And it was getting pretty far. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't know anything that I know now. I just, took some shrooms. I was with my friend. And the only way I can describe it is that I started having a series of revelations. It took, it almost took, it took me out of myself so that I could see myself from a third party perspective, which enabled me to see things about myself that I wasn't otherwise able to see. Namely, I never thought of myself as depressed prior than that. I didn't realize it at the time, but I had built up a real victim narrative around myself. Um, I had myself fully convinced that the miserable and, and, and like depressed and thing that I was at the time was intrinsic to my being. And like, that's part of what it meant to be me. Um, and that I was an idiot to expect anything else. And, and just, I had it all logically, you know, battered down. Um, and then once I was able to see it, like I, I basically, I just kind of remember seeing myself and, and identifying that my normal mode of being my middle ground was like really low. And I could actually see it. And 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 I remember just saying, like, God damn, dude, you got to cheer up. And then I, I said, how did I get here? And then, you know, normally you wouldn't associate logic with these experience, but a whole flood of logical things about what I was doing in my life that I had control over that was keeping me in this state came to me. Um, and it was just all this stuff. And and. It was so profound, like because I was living at home at the time, and it was so profound that I made my friend take me home. Now, I was not allowed to be coming home high on shrooms, but I had concluded, like, I have to talk to my parents. Like, this is this is crazy. And and I walked in the house, told my dad I was fucked up. 
Uh, and then he, and he was like, why are you telling me this? And I started crying and I said, I'm going to be okay. I know what I have to do. Um, and what's been really interesting about this is that at the time my dad, you know, I was fucked up. Right. So like my dad thought, Oh my God, my son just told me that the answer to his problems is drugs. You know what I mean? Like, and, 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 um, so he was like, really, you know, he didn't get what I was trying to communicate there, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I was like 19 at the time I was living in his house. I'm an adult now and I have an adult relationship with my father. And he has told me you had it. You absolutely had an overnight shift in your attitude that's lasted with you your whole life ever since then. Um, so, yeah, it broke me. It broke me out of my depression. And and because um, the ultimate the ultimate takeaway from it is once I walked through all of that, I concluded that now I'm aware of it. And because I'm aware of it, it's my choice of what to do with it. And that was the ultimate takeaway. This is now you're not some victim. This is your choice. What are you going to do about it? And yeah. Real self-empowerment. Yeah. Dylan, do you have anything that you'd like to share today? No, I don't know anything (laughs) about psychedelics. Sounds gay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, um, if you want, I can share one of my experiences absolutely okay so um so when i got uh this tattoo right here the one on my left shoulder i got it on mushrooms and it was like my one of my shamanic initiations it was the second tattoo that i'd gotten after i had had my feet my feet tattooed on the 2nd of november 2012 And, uh, so about, well, I, I had eaten a, like a bunch of mushrooms about this big. Now, the thing is about mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms is that they have all of the cells necessary in every little mushroom when they grow to be about an, you know, a quarter inch tall. So normally what just, what happens is they just swell up with water and they get really big. Okay. So if you eat a bunch of little ones, might as well eat a bunch of big ones. Right. So I had probably about 15 to 20 of these little guys and I'm sitting there in the chair after about ready to get tattooed. And reality is literally like ripping at the seams all around me. Like everything that I know. And like, I like what kind of like what uh, Brandy was saying about like who she was, was just like disintegrating and falling apart like blocks. It was kind of like that, except everything that I was, was ripping at the seams. And then behind everything that I knew was like stars and colors and patterns and stuff. And it wasn't just seeing it. It was also feeling it. It was like feeling it all the way down to my core. So everything that I knew and felt was also like tearing at the seams. And inside was like these stars and these patterns and stuff. And I thought to myself, oh, Jesus, what have I gotten myself into? My buddy is sitting there tattooing my arm. You know, so I got this tattoo thing going on. My eyes are closed and my reality is literally ripping at the seams. And then it starts, everything starts melting. I I usually close my eyes for my psychedelic experiences. Have you guys ever closed your eyes? Yes. Well, with DMT, I wasn't even there. I think my eyes are closed. Yeah, that's different. You just leave. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But But like with psychedelics, I have. it was like mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It to me, in my opinion, that's the bee's knees. That's the way to do it, baby is close them eyes and go on a journey. One time I ate so much, I ate nine grams of mushrooms and I had to remind <laughs> myself with my eyes closed that I was like, I was a human being 
that I had eaten a bunch of mushrooms. I was laying in bed on the planet Earth and that I was okay. You know, I opened my eyes and looked around, you know, like, uh, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm closing my eyes, going back out into space. You know, anyway, so I'm getting tattooed. My reality's ripping at the seams. And then finally, it kind of like elates a little bit. And then out of like the ether comes this minotaur. You guys know what a minotaur is, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Comes this fucking minotaur. And its skin is like neon green and neon pink and black. Its eyes have like this, like, uh, like these, like, like cat eye, like slit pupils. It's like, like orange and red fire uh, as a, as the, uh, as the iris. And it has these horns that were coming out of the front of its head. And it came around its head like that. And it had one of those uh, bells uh, or not bells. One of those uh, rings in its nose. And it was, you know, minotaur looking head. And this thing charges at me and it gets like all up in my face. And it says, why are you here? Like, you know, telepathically, I'm like, oh, shit. I said, I'm just here to learn, man. You know? And so like, like looks me up and down and it walks away. I'm like, well, that was interesting. And then not even like a minute later, this thing runs at me even more and gets up all up in my face. Why are you here? I'm just here to learn. Once again, it walks away. The third time, like a minute later, it runs up really intensely all up in my face. Its sharp teeth are showing. Its eyes are like blazing in my face. Yells, why are you here? And I said, I'm just here to learn. Please just be gentle with me. You know? (laughs) And then it's like, it like looked me up and down and was like, okay. And then it like stood around and it like watched my tattoo process. And he's like going up to my tattoo artist, almost like whispering in his ear. Yeah, you missed a spot right there. Yeah, get him right there. Yeah, good. Okay. Then I looked around and he's like, all right, everything seems to be in order here. And then he walks away. And then after he walked away in my vision, there was like this like, like Mario like treasure chest that opens up. And then from this Mario like treasure chest come like sparkles and like, rainbows and and stars and you know fractal patterns flowing out into the ether and with it came all of this knowledge all this divine wisdom that went beyond the use of words it was unspeakable but the knowledge just kept flowing and flowing and flowing and that was when i really started to wake up to like the eco side the genocide, the disease, the pollution, the mass extinctions, the GMOs and the pesticides and how bad they were for our bodies and our brains, the mass conditioning, the uh, basically like the globalist parasitic apparatus of warfare and chaos just unfolded before me. And the mushroom was like, yo, bro, you're living in a dark time right now. And the only reason why you haven't seen it was because you're sitting on your comfortable lazy boy chair watching the TV as the world burns around you. As, you know, the mother in Africa is holding her child and watching her, him die of starvation. As, you know, people in the Middle East are being bombed by drones. You're just sitting here enjoying, you know, watching movies. That's why you don't see it. But then it's like, but you can feel it now, can't you? You see it now, don't you? It's like, yeah, holy shit. It's like, yeah, bro. So if you don't get your shit together, guess what? This ain't ever going to stop. So I need you to step up to the fucking plate, man. Walk the shamanic path and do so with dignity, honor, respect, and courage. Otherwise, the world's going to fall apart. 
and it'll all be your fault. Son of a it's, bitch. You know? Archetypically speaking, load. though, archetypically speaking, it's true. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. And, and the thing is, bro, is you can't refute truth like that. Not just when you see it, but when you experience it. When you feel so, it. Yeah. Yeah. When you feel it. And like, you're I've, like, I've I tried to explain it? that. Is it, that it's one thing to know something like the way that you know two plus two equals four, but like it's another thing to understand that's the only way that i could even possibly describe it is there's just an understanding that is like just transmuted onto you i don't even know how to describe it yeah yeah and so like yeah you know that was like probably one of the most profound experiences that i've had as far as like self-transformation it was after that that um i decided to start working with kids in group homes and i came to the conclusion after that trip was like i want to work with troubled teen boys. I want to work with teen boys and help them and give them a positive male role model. I want to help these kids, you know, because we really need to, to, you know, concentrate on helping our children. And then like a day or two later, me and my brother are looking for work online. And my brother comes up to me, he shows me this ad and he's like, yo, Hey Jake, you know, this, this uh, ad right here uh, is talking about working with troubled teen boys in group homes, but it says you need to be 25 and you're 25. I can't do it, but you can. And I thought, Oh, okay. So I immediately, you know, filled out the application and then I got an interview like a day or two later. And then within like 10 days, I was working at the group home, working with troubled teen boys. So like, once again, the synchronicities, bro, the synchronicities and how they unfold. And when you're ready you know, these things find you. And that's also why I tell people like, don't ever go looking for mushrooms. Oh, I was going to say that. I was, oh, literally really? gonna say, I was literally going to say that, that for me, I never look for psychedelics. I wait for them to come to me, yes. which usually happens like in weird ways. Like I always <laughs> end up having someone being like, yo, I have these. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like I don't yeah. ever look for it because I, I whenever I have historically looked for it, I've actually those have been the times that I've had. Uh, really Bad experience. Trips. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Same here. Mm-hmm. So that's when why I didn't, I when I didn't respect them. them. My door. Mm-hmm. I, I would say when I I said when I didn't respect them right. is well, is when I had the bad trip. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh my god! I didn't want to tell that one. We could do that one another time. The nightmare, of the trip. But um, all right. Yeah, I really do have to. to you. I really do have to feed the baby and put him to bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Yeah, sounds good, man. Well, God take bless us back Thank to the, you all uh, so much for having me. Yeah, take us absolutely. back to the lobby real quick so I can talk to Jake. Is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, and Brandy, appreciate everyone. Jo- out. Yep, where can people find you, man? Oh, uh, Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at America Shaman. That's America Shaman at America Shaman on Twitter. And you can go to my uh, website, ForbiddenTruthAcademy.com. That's Forbidden truthacademy.com forbidden truthacademy.com we have like six hours worth of free courses you can take mind-blowing stuff um from the spiritual to how to raise your iq how to uh you know uh ascend basically spiritually and uh there's also one in there about ai and the dangers of ai and the ai hive mind um and then we also have our podcast, Forbidden Truth Podcast. You can find that also on the website, ForbiddenTruthAcademy.com. There's literally like eight to 10 hours worth of content there. All of it is free. And so uh, definitely check that stuff out and uh, you know follow me on Twitter for more. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for having us. Thanks for everyone for joining us. 
takehumanaction.com. Did you sign up to the uh, the email list? Uh, join us for Project Decentralized Revolution and uh, keep the decentralized revolution going, guys. Thank you. Good night. Nice, Jake. Namaste.